No, 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 this isn't good. Look at these guys. Here we go. Welcome to Benghazi. Salam. Libyan visa. Official. Libyan government. Femni? Hmm? Femni? Pull over for inspection. No. Pull over for inspection! Sorry, sir, I can't do that. Look up. Go ahead, look up. You see the drone? No? That's all right, because the drone sees you. Sees your face. We know who you are. Anything happens to us, your home, your family, gone. Give the order to let us go. How willing are you to die for your country? I'm ready to go right here, right now. the main event open up with that that uh, clip from the movie 13 hours if you haven't seen it it's a uh, it's a lot more impactful with the video on there no uh, how willing are you to die for your country i'm ready to go here right now right here right now you know what uh in honor of uh, september 11th the 15th anniversary you know what i just thought uh something as patriotic as that uh, picking from the movies that I didn't pull clips from from my for my 9/11 special, which is going to play on the second half of this of this show. Um, I hope I hope most of you have not forgotten what happened 15 years ago this weekend. Uh, it was actually on a Tuesday originally, but you know what? Uh, f- 15 years ago uh, was the day the world changed and uh, for everybody. And what's scary is there are some people that were three on that day that are going to be voting in this election. And they have the same vote as as we all do. And I hope you parents raise your kids right. Because my suspicion is most out there don't. Most out there uh, let the TV and the rap music and the internet and uh, the schools train them and, and, and shape their opinions about things. And I just don't, I think that's a reason that America's on the wrong track, and I hope everybody, especially after today's show, I hope I give you good reasons to spread the word. This is California, but we cannot vote for Hillary Clinton. We cannot have Hillary Clinton in there. So, uh, but, so let's get into that because I only have half a show today because the second half is uh, is the uh, 9/11 tribute. But before I do, let me introduce myself. My name is Ed Hoffman, President Wholesale Capital Corporation, your local direct mortgage lender, located in the city of Moreno Valley. Also offices in Temecula, Corona, Downey, Westlake Village, and Covina to service all of Southern California and Arizona. Coming coming soon, many many other states, many many other cities. If you're interested in getting involved in any of the fantastic opportunities that are real estate, and there's fantastic opportunities out there, whether you're looking to buy or refinance, interest rates are unbelievably low, as low as they've ever been. And uh, and if you're looking to find deals, there are deals out there regardless of what they say. Well, there's not very much inventory. You know what? If you're looking for deals, they're out there. 
they are definitely out there. But if, you, uh, if you're if you interested in, in looking for that and you need financing, call me toll-free at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020. One last time, day or night, area code 855-640-2020. If you want to get some information but you don't want to talk on the phone because uh, you're at work and you're stealing time from your boss, wait for your break. Wait till you're off. Go to edhoffman.net. Click apply now. Fill in as much information as you want to uh, want me to have and uh, let me know how much information you want back and how you want us to contact you. You'll hear back from either myself or one of my teammates, Matt Bradbury, Cody Bradbury, Randy Sampius, Alex Rojas, Eric Marquez. We'll dial you in and close all the uh, fill in all the missing pieces to your real estate financing puzzle. If you hear something you want repeated, you can uh, also go to edhoffman.net, click on listen to the main event, and you can hear this show as well as several past shows. Or you can go to iTunes and subscribe for it. Go on your iPhone 7. Oh, wait. You can't get it yet. I uh, just ordered it. I just ordered mine last night, so I'll have mine uh, next week. Um, I don't know if I need one, but, you know, it just seemed cool. And Dawn needed a new phone because hers doesn't charge up very good anymore. So uh, she needed a new phone. So I guess I need a new phone, too. And since they just had the brand new one come out, we ordered it. So, uh, but download it on your iPhone 7, your uh, iPod, your iPad, your uh, iWatch, your uh, computer, your Android, whatever it is. You can go to iTunes, search Ed Hoffman, search the main event, um, and you can uh, subscribe for free. It'll download once a week and listen at your leisure, whatever time is good for you. You can follow me on Twitter at Ed Hoffman, where I tweet about current events all week long. And you can like the show on Facebook. Just Facebook search The Main Event 590 to find the show page. You can also read my weekly columns in IE Business Daily. That's IE, Inland Empire, businessdaily.com. Click on the Opinion tab. This week, I actually talked about real estate investing uh, with a little political twist. So, uh, you know, everyone's entitled to their own opinions, and everyone is also entitled to mine. So I give you plenty of plenty of options to find that. So let's talk about what's happening. Uh, the presidential debates don't even start until September 26. That's two days before my birthday, folks. So if you want to send a uh, send a birthday card, or if you want to send me a birthday gift, better, uh, it's on September 28th. Just uh, uh, go ahead and send that over. Um, that was a joke, in case you didn't pick up on that. But uh, uh, they don't start till September 26th. But Wednesday night, NBC News hosted a commander-in-chief forum as kind of a political scrimmage between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton to whet the voters' appetites a little bit. Moderator Matt Lauer, typically known as a liberal, uh, primarily asked uh, questions on foreign policy and the military, both of which topics Trump has spoken about at length. Recently, the comment Trump is getting the most criticism for is this one where he speaks about the status of military generals under the Obama-Clinton administration. The generals under Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton have not been successful. Do you know ISIS, more about ISIS than they do? I think under the leadership of Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton, the generals have been reduced to rubble. They have been reduced to a point where it's embarrassing for our country. Well, while some are enraged you know, they take everything out of context whenever Trump says anything. Well, while some are enraged that Trump would say our generals are reduced to rubble, General Mike Flynn says he knows exactly what Trump meant, as do I, uh, that Obama has prevented generals from doing their jobs. Absolutely right. I mean, there, there is a severe disconnect between this White House and, frankly, the president and our military. I mean, there's a lot of frustration within the ranks and there's a lot of frustration, I, I know, in the senior leadership about what we're not able to do. We, one of the things we cannot ever 
uh, you know, I mean, there, there's no enemy that's unbeatable. And what we have right now is we have four over four and a half, five years of fighting ISIS now as though there's some unbeatable enemy. There's an, again, there's enormous frustration. There's enormous frustration because, you know, we're not getting anywhere with these people. And and uh, General Flynn is exactly right. You know, we've t we've tied the hands of the generals. Um, and here's what here's and this and we know for sure that he's right what Trump meant because Trump touched on something similar in his speech in Philadelphia the same morning on Wednesday morning. Immediately after taking office, I will ask my generals to present to me a plan within 30 days to defeat and destroy ISIS. This will require military warfare, but also cyber warfare, financial warfare and ideological warfare as I laid out in my speech on defeating radical Islamic terrorism several weeks ago. Instead of an apology tour, which you saw President Obama give over and over again, I will proudly promote our system of government and our way of life as the best in the world. Yeah, remember, uh, remember Stanley McChrystal? Remember Stanley McChrystal? He's a, a general, uh, I think he's a Marine general. General in the Marines or the Army? I know he was uh, he was the CENTCOM uh, commander, I think, after Petraeus uh, retired, if I remember correctly. I could be wrong on the on the exact title, but McChrystal met with uh, with uh, Barack Obama while he was in uh, Amsterdam, if I remember correctly. He flew in. He didn't fly in to talk to Stanley McChrystal about the military. He flew in to convince the Olympic Committee to put the Summer Olympics for 2016 in Chicago. Because, you know, he has friends in Chicago and that's the most important thing he could do as president. They were fighting a war, but I'm going to fly in there and while I'm there, I'm going to I'm going to make uh, five or six or seven minutes to meet with Stanley McChrystal and we're going to discuss strategies. So uh, apparently uh, uh, Stanley McChrystal came in, met for six or seven minutes on Air Force One with uh, the president and uh, basically the president blew him off. And said, eh, "This might be what your strategy is, but that doesn't fit into my into what I want to do," and just blew him off. And shortly thereafter, uh, Rolling Stone magazine had a interview with Stanley McChrystal, the general, and uh, he did what Stanley McChrystal does, and he spoke candidly about what he thought about Obama and Obama's strategy. And uh, shortly thereafter, there was another meeting at the White House where. Obama asked uh, McChrystal to resign. So that's kind of kind of how things are going. And, and think about this: everyone's going, "Hey, no!" When General Flynn said, "No, uh, no, uh, no enemy is unbeatable." These guys, we had Iraq. Remember the surge? No, this is something that George Bush did. He had the surge, and they and uh, Stanley McChrystal. No, it was David Petraeus that led it, and uh, we put a surge of, of soldiers out there, and we beat we beat uh, Al Qaeda, and we we had Iraq under control, and then we had Obama in office who decided that we weren't gonna we weren't gonna leave any soldiers there when we pulled out. We've been in uh, Japan since uh, 1945, and we still have uh, military bases in Japan, but Iraq he wanted to pull everybody out. So they said, hey, we need 19,000 people to stay here and help train and keep the peace until Iraq can uh, protect itself. And now uh, he goes, okay, well, how about 15? How about 10? He goes, I'll give you five. And they said, forget it. If you're going to leave 5,000 people, that's not enough. That's not enough. Pull them all out. So we pulled them all out. And from the, from the, from the uh, vacuum it created, ISIS appeared. 
Now, ISIS stood for uh, the Islamic State in Iraq and Syria, and so we had had them all isolated to Iraq and Syria. We could have gone in and, and beat them up while they were all in one place, but we didn't. So, uh, so uh, you know, Hillary had her own problems at this forum, which we'll get into in a minute. But first, here's her comment on Thursday about Trump's remarks Wednesday night. Uh, clear intention of twisting his words. We saw more evidence that he is temperamentally unfit and totally unqualified to be commander-in-chief. He trash-talked American generals, saying they've been, quote, reduced to rubble. He suggested he would fire them and replace them with his hand-picked generals. That's how he talks about distinguished men and women who have spent their lives serving our country, sacrificing for us. That's how he would act as commander-in-chief. Well, in case you haven't figured it out, whenever Hillary Clinton's lips are moving, she's lying. And I didn't hear him say anything. I didn't hear him trash talk the generals at all. I heard him trash talk Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton because they have reduced. They have taken all the power away from the generals and basically, hey, you know, it's kind of like, have, hey, you know what? If, if you don't have any power to do anything, what good are you? You know what? You got a 700 horsepower engine under your hood, but you got no gas in your tank. Uh, what's the good of it? Um, so I got a, I got a million of those little examples that I could think of, but I'm just not coming up with them right now. But maybe the reason that she tried to keep Trump's comments in the news is because the bigger news is what happened to her. It was a bad night for Hillary on Wednesday because Matt Lauer acted like a real journalist. He did for a little bit of it. Um, and uh, he asked her some, uh, some substantive questions. It started with a question on her private email server. You've said it's a mistake. Why wasn't it more than a mistake? Why wasn't it disqualifying if you want to be commander in chief? Well, Matt, first of all, as I have said repeatedly, uh, it was a mistake uh, to have a personal account. The real question is the handling of classified material, which is, I think, what the implication of your question was. Classified material has a header which says top secret, secret, confidential, nothing. And I will, I will repeat this, and this is verified in the report by the Department of Justice. None of the emails sent or received by me had such a header. That is such BS. Let's play uh, James Comey's uh, comments on July the 5th. Seven email chains concern matters that were classified at the top secret special access program at the time they were sent and received. Those chains involve Secretary Clinton both sending emails about those matters and receiving emails about those same matters. There is evidence to support a conclusion that any reasonable person in Secretary Clinton's position or in the position of those with whom she was corresponding about those matters should have known that an unclassified system was no place for that conversation. You know what? I can't understand why no one has brought this up. Well, I created a, a unsecure email server and no, no classified documents were either sent or received. It wouldn't matter. How would you know? Because once they're received, even before you open them, they're on your server and they're unsecured. So if somebody sent you an, a, a classified email, you couldn't stop it because it's not on a secure server. They sent it to your Clinton.com thing and uh, email server in some bathroom in, in Denver, Colorado, and it's available on the Internet. We know she's lying because FBA documents 
revealed last week that Hillary's classified emails were marked with a letter C. She told the investigators that she didn't know what the C stood for. She didn't know it stood. She didn't know it stood for for class for classified. She thought maybe they were just putting them in alphabetical order. But before we go any further, let me play WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange explaining why he knows she's lying there too. Hillary Clinton says that she can't remember what a C in bracket stands for. Everyone in positions of government and in WikiLeaks knows it stands for classified confidential. And in fact, we have already released uh, thousands of cables by Hillary Clinton. Here she is. Clinton. See, that's her signature. Clinton with a C in bracket right there. Wow. Thousands of examples where she herself has used this C in brackets and signed it off. And more than 22,000 times that she has received cables from others uh, with this C in brackets. Proves that she's a liar. Hey, she knows what the, the symbol means because she uses it on her own stuff, where she signs it and puts C, it's classified. You know what? She's supposed to be the Secretary of State. She's supposed to know certain things. It's kind of like, like me. I'm in the mortgage business. I have a, I have a client who, uh, who bought a house on a short sale from his mother-in-law. He bought it from his mother-in-law on a short sale. Different last name. Different last name. And then he proceeded to sell it to his mother-in-law's new husband who has a different last name still. And I said, and as we're doing the loan on this thing, and I said, wait a minute, what are you thinking? You can't do that because guess what? You guys signed a, a, uh, a disclosure saying you don't know each other. You don't have any relationship. There's no relationship between buyer and seller. Now you're going to sell it to this guy who's married to the one you just bought it from. When she, when you do a married soul and separate in the state of California, the, the spouse has to sign an interspousal uh, transfer deed saying that, hey, I'm not on the loan, but this is a community property state. So now you're going to have a short sale document where you disclose that you had no relationship. Then you're quickly going to sell it back to the stepdad and the, the, his wife's stepdad and, and the person who just sold it to you and signed that thing saying there's no relationship signs an interspousal transfer deed. How are you going to keep from disclosing it? You're just, I said, you're about to put in permanent public record that you committed fraud. Hello, that's called understanding what the hell you're doing. How did Hillary Clinton be Secretary of State? And how many, how many people, how can you expect her to be President of the United States if she's not smart enough to know something is classified unless it says classified on top? Ridiculous. So let's get back to the forum on Wednesday. Hillary continued to repeat that there was no classified header on her emails. Happened again with this memorable question from an audience member. As a naval flight officer, I held a top secret sensitive compartmentalized information uh, clearance, and that provided me access to materials and information highly sensitive to our warfighting capabilities. Had I communicated this information not following prescribed protocols, I would have been prosecuted and imprisoned. Secretary Clinton, how can you expect those such as myself who were and are entrusted with America's most sensitive information to have any confidence in your leadership as president when you clearly corrupted our national security? That's what the people, that's what the clear thinking people with common sense are asking. How can you expect us that have to obey the laws and have to have to have some common sense expect you to be president of the United States? Here she is giving the same answer as earlier, but adding a little extra lie at the end. No, and I know. 
classified material is designated, it is marked, there is a header so that there is no dispute at all that what is being communicated to or from someone who has that access is marked classified. And what we have here is the use of an unclassified system by hundreds of people in our government to send information that was not marked, there were no headers, there was no statement, top secret, secret, or confidential. I communicated about classified material on a wholly separate system. I did uh, exactly what I should have done, and I take it very seriously. Always have, always will. Eh, my BS indicator's going off. Remember this little comment she made a few months ago? When I got to work as Secretary of State, I opted for convenience to use my personal email account, which was allowed by the State Department, because I thought it would be easier to carry just one device for my work and for my personal emails instead of two. Looking back, it would have been better for me to use two separate phones and two email accounts. I thought using one device would be simpler, and obviously it hasn't worked out that way. Can you believe this? She talks out of both sides of her mouth. Maybe she forgets that there's a thing called YouTube. Maybe she forgets there's cable TV. Maybe she forgets that there's a video camera in front of you everywhere you go. So let's continue. People have raised concerns over Hillary's physical health before, but even red, more red flags have gone on recently. Dr. Ted Knoll has produced a series of YouTube videos that lay out a case for Hillary Clinton may, that she may indeed actually have Parkinson's disease. Here's a little clip from that. On August 14, Joe Biggs of InfoWars reported that Secret Service agents had approached him with information that Hillary Clinton was suffering from Parkinson's disease. They've had to take steps to accommodate her disease. They also indicated that they have known she's had Parkinson's disease for an extended period. Days after InfoWars, Julian Assange of WikiLeaks released Hillary Clinton emails where she directs State Department staff to research new drugs to treat Parkinson's disease. Let's connect the dots. On January 31, 2005, Hillary Clinton fainted during a speech. Secret Service agents kept her from injuring herself as she fell. Her public explanation was that she was ill and dehydrated. She left the stage to remove an outer jacket rather than removing it on stage. Oddly, she did not seek medical attention unless she received it off stage before returning. June 18, 2009, Hillary Clinton broke her elbow, quote, on her way to the White House, close quote. Again, we do not have video, but this is also a bit odd since she has had 24-7 Secret Service protection for 24 years. She would have to fall at a distance from them with no warning, or they would have broken her fall as they did in 2005. Early in December 2012, Hillary Clinton fell at home struck her head, and suffered a concussion. Like the 2005 fall, the public explanation was dehydration and fainting. But again, this is very odd. To strike your head requires a complete loss of protective reflexes. Being wobbly from dehydration won't do this. At this point, let's look at the Secret Service Parkinson disease story. If Hillary has Parkinson's disease, all three falls make sense. 
Now I know you're thinking none of these examples are recent, but Dr. Noel continues with more recent examples like Hillary's televised freezing episodes and her bug-eyed expression on the final night of the Democratic Convention in July. At the Democratic National Convention during the balloon drop, we saw an astonishing scene. Hillary saw something directly ahead. A normal startle reaction would lock her in that direction, but that's not what happens. Instead, her head jerks hard left, then up. Her eyes pull right and her head follows. Then her eyes reverse to the left and her head follows again. All through this, her mouth is unnaturally wide open and she has bug eyes. Every element of this is common in Parkinson's disease. When this was shown to Parkinson's disease patients and caregivers, there was no doubt. This is probably a freeze where PD-LID caused an oculogyric crisis. And as I run out of time, let me point out, Dr. Drew discussed this on his show on CNN and has since been canceled for discussing her health. In addition, I have a friend, Corey Beeson, who many of you know, who's had Parkinson's disease for about 10 years, and he told me it was okay to use his name. And he said that after I showed this to him, he said, absolutely, this all makes sense. And uh, we'll talk about that more. Maybe I'll have uh, Corey on my show between now and the election to discuss that. But right now, I'm out of time for part one of the main event. Stay tuned, five minutes of uh, the commercials and weather and traffic, and then stay tuned for my 9-11 tribute. Hey, we will never forget. I think we're going to have to remember September 11 in its reality, much the same way as we have to remember other horrific events in our history, because somehow I think it pushes the human consciousness toward finding ways to avoid this in the future. But if you, um, if you, if you censor it too much, if you try to find too many euphemisms for what happened, then I think you rob people of the ability to actually relive it and therefore motivate them to prevent it from happening in the future. This is Ed Hoffman, and welcome to the September 11th edition of the main event. This week, in honor of September 11th, I put together a tribute to September 11th, consisting of some clips from uh, documentaries, interviews, uh, speeches, as well as uh, some movie clips and some music, too, to commemorate the day that changed our country, changed our world, and for many of us, changed our lives. Uh, I, lost a, I lost a high school friend on Flight 77 that hit the Pentagon that day, and uh, my wife and I have visited ground zero, ground zero several times since 2001. So you can bet that we will never forget the impact that the attacks of that day had on our lives and our world, and I hope that you won't either. Uh, this project took a lot of time and effort to put together, so I hope you enjoy listening to it and find it moving and inspirational as I did in the process of creating it. Um, email me your comments at edhoffman at wccloans.com. That's edhoffman, E-D-H-O-F-F-M-A-N, at wccloans. I'm interested in, in what you think. Enjoy. On a perfect, almost achingly beautiful late summer morning in early September 2001, a day of seemingly infinite visibility, one man later said, characterized by the rare and exquisite flying conditions airline pilots call severe clear. Life in New York and much of the rest of the contemporary world was changed irrevocably in the space of less than two hours. September 11, 2001 was the 
worst day in the history of the city. Everyone in the city should remain calm. The very best thing to do right now would be to remain home. I could see from the very beginning with the number of casualties and the tremendous damage that was done. And even the thought that we'd probably be attacked again during that period of time, that this was this going to be really, really difficult. I'd ask the people of New York City to do everything that they can to cooperate, not to be frightened, to go about their lives as normal. Everything is safe right now in the city. And the people who are doing the relief effort need all the help they can get. At 9.02 a.m., little more than 15 minutes after the attack, millions of people in the metropolitan region and tens of millions more across the country and around the world were staring intently at the smoldering skyline of Lower Manhattan when a dark shape appeared on the horizon above the New Jersey lowlands and came hurtling across the upper bay. And then all of a sudden, I saw a, a big explosion of fire. And at that point, we all concluded, obviously, it was, it, was a it was a terrorist attack. I think that was the first point at which I realized that we were into something different than any, any of us had ever prepared for, or any of us had ever thought we would live through. I realized I was in some kind of a horrible, awful, horrific human experience. I hear people say, we don't need this war But I say there's some things worth fighting for What about our freedom And this piece of ground We didn't get to keep them By backing down They say we don't realize The mess we're getting in before you start your preaching, let me ask you this, my friend. Have you forgotten how it felt that day to see your homeland under fire and her people blown away? Have you forgotten when those towers fell? We had neighbors still inside going through a living hell. The resolve of our great nation is being tested, but make no mistake, we will show the world that we will pass this test. God bless. I don't know if you guys know it yet, but this country's in war. Listen, I'm not, I'm not taking any more chances. We got stuff flying around we have no control over. And I don't want to board full of these planes hitting every building on the East Coast. This is a national emergency. Everyone lands regardless of destination. That's going to cost billions. Just do it. We have hundreds of international flights coming in. They're already in the air. No, no I, don't, I don't want any more international flights crossing the borders. They're going to have to go back where they came from. Nobody's coming into the country from now on. Everyone? Everyone. Shut off the East Coast. Shut off all the international from Europe. Shut off South America. Shut off the West Coast. Nothing over the top either. Right, we're call Canada? Yeah, Canada too. Can I shut down the airspace? No, I can't, I can't accept anybody. Nobody takes off. Land them off. Take a moment. Think about this. We're going to put. We're going to shut down the entire country right now. That's right. Listen, we're at war with someone, and until we figure out what to do about it, we're shutting down. That's it. We're finished. This was an attack intended to destroy us, because we are a country that's built on principles of freedom, and because of free will, people get a chance to distinguish themselves. This wonderful American civilization emerges, which isn't based on any ethnic group, it isn't based on any one race, it isn't based on any one religion, it's based on people believing in freedom. We heard things hitting the sidewalk. 
and I thought it was debris. And I think we all thought it was debris. And the windows on the west side of the building had already been blown out. So as I walked towards those windows, I realized it wasn't debris. These were people, people who were so desperate that they had jumped from whatever stories and they were landing. And it was a, a constant, the shrill of the pop as they hit the ground. And think about people so desperate that they would, they would choose that that way to die, and they had to know they were going to die. There's no way of, of surviving it, and that, that image will never leave. A mother described to me talking to her son on the telephone when the second plane hit, and that's the last time she talked to him. Another family described to me how their loved one had let two elevators go because he was older, and the people in the elevator were younger. And somehow my, my, my mind went back to the stories and the things you read about the Titanic or you know, people who allowed other people to get on, get on boats and they didn't get on the boat because they were older. And from that moment on, I started thinking that we'll never know all the heroes. We know our uniform people were heroes. They went there and they died and they gave up their lives bravely trying to save the lives of other people. But what we don't know are all the individual stories of the person who gave up the elevator for another person, the person who calmed someone and got them out of the building, the person who organized their floor so that everybody could evacuate, the person who maybe at the last, in the last moments comforted people when all of them knew they were going to die. We've got over 300 firefighters that are missing that uh, we can't account for. We believe that many of, uh, many of them are, uh, are, uh, are gone. We don't... Um, We'll keep looking. Uh, we have hundreds of people over there now trying to find as many possible locations that they might be in, in some way, in a void or whatever, and um, you know, still be able to breathe and, and still alive. But we believe that uh, most of these people, I think, are, are gonna be uh, un unable to, to pull out. Pastor, I gotta go down there. Where? New York. You can't. Only emergency responders are being allowed in. I spent my best years with the Marines. God gave me a gift to be able to help people to defend our country. I feel him calling on me now for this mission. Then find a way to listen, Dave. And I started thinking about the people that might be trapped. Are there people trapped? If they are trapped, can they survive? And I remember thinking, this, I, this is like being in hell. Today is uh, obviously one of the most difficult days in the history of the city and the country. The tragedy that uh, we're all undergoing right now is something that we've had nightmares about, but probably thought wouldn't happen. My heart goes out to all of the innocent victims of this horrible and vicious act of terrorism, acts of terrorism. And our focus now has to be on saving as many lives as possible. What's the status here? Search has been called off. This whole thing is crap, man. Our guys are in there. They're dying in there. Looks like God made a curtain with the smoke, shielding us from what we're not yet ready to see. Do we know the number of casualties at this point, sir? I don't, I don't think we, we really want to speculate about that. The number of casualties will be more than any, any of us can bear, ultimately. 
and I don't think we want to speculate on the number of casualties. The effort now has to be to save as many people as possible. United States Marines, anyone can hear me, yell or tap. Some of the information was too brutal. I think I said that day that I don't think people could handle the full implications. And all of a sudden, it dawned on me that Beth's husband was Terry Haddon, who was the, who was the captain of Rescue One. And I looked over and I said to her, Is, was Terry working today? And she said, yes. And just tears came down her eyes. She looked at me and she said, he's dead. And I got angry. I said, you don't know that, Beth. You don't know that. And she said, yeah, I know that. I felt it and I know that. I was standing on the steps of City Hall. We all looked up and I knew that Terry would have been one of, on one of the, the highest floor that he could get to in that building because that's just what his company does. And when I saw the building come down, I knew that he had no chance. His friend Tim told me that he saw Terry going in and Terry said to him, we may not be seeing each other again and kissed him on the cheek and ran up the stairs. We lost all those firemen. We lost police. We had this fantastic contradiction of people who hated you so much that they were willing to give up their life to take yours and people who loved humanity so much that they were willing to run into the Don building in the smoke and flame and just to save the life of somebody they never met. And that ineffably beautiful. There's no better definition of love. There's no, there's no more inspirational, no more inspiring, no more near to saintly conduct that you can think of than what they demonstrated. We, everybody should in their own way say, say a prayer ask God for help and for assistance and uh, and also ask God to give us the strength to overcome this because I know we're, we're going to need strength to overcome it and I want the people of New York to be an example to the rest of the country and the rest of the world that terrorism can't stop us. American democracy is much stronger than uh, vicious cowardly terrorists and we're going to overcome it. If you can hear me yell or tap, we hear you. Ah! Keep yelling. And 13! BNPD down! Gotcha! Hang on, hang on, okay? Don't leave us with me here a long time! We're not leaving you, buddy. We're Marines. You are our mission. <laughs> that's great. Oh, that's great. It took all the footage off my TV. Said it's too disturbing for you and me. It'll just breed anger That's what the experts say If it was up to me, I'd show it every day Some say this country's just out of looking for a fight Well, after 9-11, man, I'd have to say that's right Have you forgotten how it felt that day? Towers fail We had neighbors still inside
staging area for rescue supplies. And the New York Mets baseball team, overlooking its exalted status, banded together with other volunteers. We got a, we got a box of t-shirts here. People came in from Wall Street who had walked home and two days later, you know, I need to do something. I have to help. What can I do? I had that same feeling that, that so many uh, other Americans had of just, to, I needed to do something. The Yankees, too, pitched in. Following the team's first post-9-11 gathering, manager Joe Torrey led a group of players on a goodwill trip downtown. We went to the armory, which was the most emotional, and we didn't really know if we should be there. This is where families were all gathered to wait on word if their loved ones were alive. weren't alive, uh, evidence that they weren't alive, so they were doing DNA samplings. I, I remember one very poignant moment when Bernie Williams went up to this woman, and he was sort of fumbling, and he, and he says, I, I, don't, I don't know what to say. He says, but you look like you need a hug. And he put his arms around her, and I, and I think sort of broke the ice to see that, you know, these people needed this. And I think at that point in time, I realized that there was a role for us. But I'll never forget where I was, and I'll never forget that day. And I remember taking a bus home at night at about 11.30 at Amsterdam on 116th Street. And how quiet the street was. There was an eerie silence, like nothing I'd seen in more than 30 years of working there. And then I remember when the bus came that there was a sign around the little box there that said, no fare today. And I remember sitting on the bus, and sitting opposite a young woman who was just crying. And I remember when I got off the bus at 83rd Street, she was still crying. I remember just putting my hand on her shoulder. And I said nothing, and she said nothing, and I got off. But I'll always remember that woman. We have to cry, and we have to mourn and we have to feel terrible and awful. And on the way over here, I cried in my van because I had to go to the morgue to identify some. But I, the tears have to make you stronger. Every time you cry, you have to remember 
that we're right and they're wrong. In the aftermath of September 11th, the mood of the country changed. Baseball games became communal gathering places for fans to express their emotions. And as much of the country turned a sympathetic eye to New York, the Red Sox ask you to join us in a tribute to the spirit of the people of New York. The city's baseball teams became the objects of affection. I could not, under any circumstances, ever imagine cheering for the Yankees. But I think America's sense of New York changed in September 11th and, and the days afterwards. The face of New York changed. It was 343 New York firefighters who walked into the fires of hell to save strangers. And it becomes very difficult to hate the Yankees. Another reason for the heightened security was the appearance of a guest from Washington. All of a sudden, there was a knock at the door, and President Bush walked into our room. Well, when you're president, all you have to do is say you're showing up, and they kind of ask you to throw out the first pitch, no matter what time of year it is. So I go underneath the Yankee Stadium, in the bowels of Yankee Stadium, and there's a hitting cage there. And he's wearing his bulletproof jacket, and he's getting his arm loose, and Derek Jeter comes up to him. So I just asked him if he was going to be throwing the first pitch from the mound or in front of the mound. The president said, I felt, think I'll throw from the base of the mound. Jeter said, I wouldn't do that if I were you, Mr. President. And I told him, uh, you better throw it from the mound, otherwise you're going to get booed. I said, this, this is Yankee Stadium. I said, OK, I'll throw from the mound. And he's walking out, and he looks over his shoulder, and he says, don't bounce it. They'll boo you. All of a sudden, the pressure mounted. The President of the United States. I'd never felt what I'd felt before when I walked out of that dugout. I felt the raw emotion of the Yankee fans. USA! 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 The crowd just erupts in a chant of USA. There is nothing like it that I've ever experienced at a ball game. It, it was overwhelming. It was just overwhelming. President Bush is standing out there like a brick wall. I'm not afraid of terrorists. I'm going to stand all out here. I'm going to give you a thumbs up, and I'm going to throw a strike. I didn't vote for him, but at that point, my personal feelings about him as a politician is gone. I watched him, and he was my representative, and I had never felt that way before. Very nice throw, Mr. President. Good stuff, good stuff. At that moment, everybody there was there for baseball and to show the world that in spite of what can happen to us, we'll pull ourselves together, and what is our life and our way of life will continue. United, we stand. We stand together in the face of this threat. We will play baseball in the midst of the, the beginnings of this war. No matter what the threat may be to us, the United States of America will stand strong and will never be intimidated. Have you forgotten all the people killed? Yes, some went down like heroes in that Pennsylvania field. Have you forgotten about our Pentagon?
have you forgotten? Have you forgotten? Have you forgotten? One of the tricks in life is to convert everything into good. You're a sculptor and you have a stone and the stone has a scar in it. And well, so now you have to sculpt around that scar and you've got to use that scar to, to make it part of whatever it is you're going to produce that's beautiful. And um, work with what you have, play it as it lies. You know? So whatever the circumstance, you know, use it for good purpose. 9-11, how can you possibly use it for good purpose? You think about it. You think, as uh, we've suggested before, you think about, look, what this reminds you of is the importance of your own life and making the most of it, because you, you can lose it in a flash. And if that's all you learned from 9-11, if that's all you remembered, that, my God, you could extinguish life so suddenly, so unexpectedly, and it could happen to me, and therefore, I should think harder about the way I spend my life instead of just wasting it. Now, it's not going to teach you what to do with your life, but it will teach you to do with your life. Thanks for listening to the September 11th edition of the main event. Email me your comments at edhoffman, E-D-H-O-F-F-M-A-N, at WCCLoans.com. My name is Ed Hoffman, and I'll be back with my regular show for you next week. Oh.